I'd ask you to take your Bibles and uh, grab your outlines as we begin a new series. We are in uh, the Easter season. Some churches call this the season of Lent. Uh, We don't follow a church calendar, but that does not mean that we don't find value uh, in some of those uh, things. As we talked about last week in the issue of circumcision, uh, that it does have value. Rituals and and aspects of our religion do have uh, some value. Uh, but that doesn't uh, get us any closer uh, to God. And uh, Lent is one of those things. It's a good reminder of what is uh, to come, a good reminder for us to uh, begin to uh, ask God what we may be willing to sacrifice as we remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And as I began to think about what we may uh, work through during this time of Easter, I was reminded of a song that I remember growing up uh, by Stephen Curtis Chapman lost in the shadow of the cross. And I remember the chorus, he says, I want to get lost in the shadow of the cross to give up all that I have to answer the call of God. And I began to think about that and think about all that he talks about being lost in that shadow. You know, if we don't get lost in the shadow of the cross, we'll never realize what God is calling of us to do. If we don't get lost in that shadow, we won't recognize the sacrifice that God has uh, for us. In fact, we know the scripture says, uh, if we want to follow Jesus, then we must take up our cross daily. It means obedience. It means sacrifice. Now, I will tell you that over the next six weeks, we're going to look at different aspects of the cross. The cross is an important issue for us to understand and recognize. And we're going to look at different aspects of it, but we're going to do it differently than how we normally do a series. Usually what will happen is is we'll take a passage of Scripture, whether it's a book or a chapter, and for a period of time we will work through verse by verse through that particular passage. But that's not what we're going to do this time. We're going to look at the theme of the cross and go across Scripture and try to understand the totality of what Christ is declaring to us about the cross of Calvary and the shed blood that He gave for us to save us from that and from our sins. Now, we'll use that time to focus on this theme. And each week what we're going to do is end our time, as we did last year, uh, to the weeks upcoming up to uh, Easter, that we will spend time around the communion table, around the Lord's Supper. And uh, just remembering again a special season of time to remember the cross of Christ. Now, you may ask the question, Tim, of all the themes in the world, of all the topics... Why are you spending so much time on the cross? I mean, we've got an economic downturn going on. We should be talking about money. And if you look at what churches are doing today, that's a lot of what's going on. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about um, uncertainty in the world. But that's the wrong question to ask. Why do we spend so much time talking about the cross? The right question is, why don't all of our sermons speak about the cross? You want to have hope in a time of uncertainty? Go to the cross. You want to be able to understand that God is with you and will never forsake you? We need to go to the cross. If we want to recognize that there's hope for tomorrow, then you and I as a people must look to the cross. We need to spend time there. In fact, one of my favorite writers, James Montgomery Boyce, said this, it is impossible to overestimate the importance of the cross. Whether we look at Christ's last words on the cross, as we did last year, 
or if we look to his words about the cross or the doctrines surrounding the cross, we must always be mindful that the cross is central to Christianity. That's James Montgomery Boyce. So understand this. The cross is the most important doctrine of them all. And some of you may say, wait a minute, Tim. No, God is the most important doctrine of all. Or the Holy Spirit or, or end times or the study of God's Word is the important doctrine. But I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says, a famous pastor from England. He says, the cross is central to Christianity. Indeed, we are saying even more. We are saying without the cross, there is no Christianity. By itself, the incarnation does not provide us with genuine Christianity. It in itself gives us sentimental stories about Christmas. The example alone of Christ is not enough for Christianity, since no one is ever saved by imitating Jesus. Even the glorious resurrection of Christ in and of itself is not and cannot be the whole of true biblical religion. And then he goes on and he says, the cross is central to Christianity. This is the theme. The scripture reveals that God would receive glory, honor, and praise by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross. Now if this is true, if this proposition is true, that the cross is central to our faith, then two truths must become apparent. Write these down in your outline somewhere before we get into the actual filling in of the blanks. There are two truths that must become apparent if the doctrine of the cross is so central. The first one is it must be a simple truth. It must be a simple truth. Now, why would you say it must be simple? Well, if the Father in heaven wants to see people come to know Christ, it must be something so simple that a child would be able to understand it. It must be so simple that it could be articulated to the world around. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Jesus Christ died according to the Scriptures. Not much, not a dissertation on, on all the events that happened. Jesus Christ died and it happened according to the Scriptures. So it needs to be a simple truth. If you're going to uh, put the core of your faith on a singular doctrine, it must be simple to understand. But also, on the other side of that coin, it must carry great depth. Write that somewhere. The doctrine of the cross must carry great depth. If you're putting all of your eggs, if you will, in one basket, if you are articulating a truth of such great importance, then there must be some substance to it. You can't tell somebody you've got life-changing news and then tell them about something going on in the world around them that has little impact at all. The cross has depth. I like what Emil uh, Brunner uh, said. He was a German theologian. He said, the doctrine of the cross is like a pool so shallow that a child may wade in it, yet it has such depth of an ocean that elephants can swim. Think about that for a moment. The truth of the cross is simple. Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, died on the cross for your sins. Simply put, He made a way. And yet when you nuance that, when you begin to think about it, 
I, I, I thought about this. Jesus Christ has more books written about him than any other man or woman in all of history. If you look at the amount of books Wikipedia says of all the books that are written about Jesus, it is not his miracles, it is not his sermons, but it is the cross of Calvary that most is written when it comes to Jesus. And you know what? We still don't fully understand it. And that's the paradox. The paradox is that it, while it is easy to understand, it is hard to grasp. Now, when I share all this to you, we understand that the cross is central. In fact, one of the reasons, you know, someone said, why did we go to two, to two screens in our church? I'll tell you, one of the biggest ones was when we pulled the screen down over here, what did we cover? The cross. I said, there's something wrong with that. We don't want to cover the very symbol, the very thing that reminds us of what brings us together. We're not together because of our ethnicity. We're not here together because uh, we uh, go and work in the same locations. We don't live in the same towns. We don't make the same amount of money. We don't even root for the same baseball teams. But you know what we do do? We take pride and we rejoice in the cross of Calvary. That's what brings us together. But if that's the case, then why is it that it seems in our generation that the cross has become something that can be kind of pushed to the side? George Lindbeck, a theology professor from Yale, said that the cross has become a dead symbol of Christianity. A void has been opened in the heart of Western Christianity where the cross once stood is now a vacuum. In fact, at a large evangelical conference where there was speaking taking place, a leading pastor in what I would call a progressive and pragmatic movement within the evangelical circle uttered the following words regarding Christians with their seemingly obsession with the cross. He says, I don't think we need folks hanging on crosses and blood dripping all and all that weird stuff. It is about the people's needs, not about something that happened 2,000 years ago. The story of the cross is grotesque and will drive people away. My friends, if we don't have the cross, we've got nothing. Is the cross grotesque? Yes, we saw with utter amazement uh, a rendition of it when we saw Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. There were times that I know my head had to be turned away because I was frightened by the, the abuse and beatings that Christ took. And yet, we say it's too much for us. We're, we're, we're more humane than that. We're more, we, uh, we're more dignified than that. Let me tell you something. Without the cross, we've got nothing. Without the cross, this is one big community center with a fat motivational speaker articulating a bunch of muckety-muck about a religion 2,000 years ago that does nothing. My friends, the cross is the essence of our faith. We've got nothing else to hold our, our, our faith on. In fact, uh, 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 Paul would say that uh, if, if we don't have the cross and then the resurrection thereafter, we should be pitied more than all men. Wasting our time. 
All the Saturday nights of studying, all the Sunday mornings instead of golf and, and football, we find ourselves in this place. All the hours of, of working, all the money that's put into a place like Village Bible Church, uh, we're pitied because what a waste of time if it isn't the cross. So what has happened in our lives? We see that crosses have become an optional fixture in churches. They've been taken down. Oh, you can still find uh, crosses on breath mints in Christian bookstores. You can find crosses on your favorite Hollywood icon. You can find crosses in many different places, but I will tell you where we've lost the crosses within our hearts. We have forgotten what it means to be lost in the shadow of that cross. So that's what I want to do these next six weeks is immerse ourselves in that cross. So the first thing we look at this morning is the necessity of the cross. The necessity of the cross. I want you to turn for a moment to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you find yourself not knowing where it's at, of course there's a table of contents at the beginning of the Bible. Look for the book of Acts. If you're a little more adventurous... You want to go out, I found out, uh, Rich Wood told me that, uh, I always say that's about 50 or 60% of the way through. Rich, it's, uh, where's Rich at today? 70, 77, and 77.7 is where you'll find the New Testament. I thought that was kind of odd, seven being the number of God and three sevens, that's uh, that's pretty cool. So 77.7% of the way through your Bible, you'll find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. And I think it's amazing that in the first sermon, in our generation where the cross and the blood and sin is not talked about, the first sermon that we have of the church, we see uh, Peter speak of it. Listen to what he says in verse 22 of Acts 2. Uh, let's go ahead and stand as we read, uh, as we look at God's Word together. This is what the text tells us. Let's listen to this first sermon of the church. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. This is Peter picking up the message again. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died. He was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised on him an oath that he would place on his descendants, one of his descendants on the throne. 
seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he would not abandon, be abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. But God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to the fact, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, here's the, here's the application. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, there's the cross, both Lord and Christ. Let me just pray a blessing on us as we get into our text. Father God, we want to be lost in your shadow of your cross. Lord, it is of great importance that we recognize the place the cross has. Father, remind us during these weeks of the sacrifice, of the offense, of the pain and the torment of that cross. But Lord, let us remember as we look back to the cross that we have nothing more, as Paul said, to boast in, but to boast in the cross. That, Lord, that is the glory, that is the honor, and that is the praise for which you redeemed a sinful people. So open our eyes so that we can see you this morning. Let us allow you to be high and lifted up in our hearts that you may be brought glory for what you've done. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. First thing I want to look at is the necessity of the cross this morning. And I want to move quickly through uh, four points and then hit some application on our uh, last leg of this journey. The necessity of the cross. When we come to the cross, we ask the question, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? What is it about a cross that is of such significance? Well, if you don't know what, uh, when we talk about a cross, what we mean by that, the cross was the name for the Roman execution in ancient days where they would take two pieces of wood and form them in the letter T. They would nail those two posts together. And then what they would do is take the most uh, vicious of criminals, the vilest offenders, and they would put them on the cross. How? by nailing their hands and their feet. Historians say that it would have been the most grotesque way, the most painful way to die. Because then what would happen is once you're put on that cross, you would be lifted up and the posts would be put into a fitting in the ground and you would be left there to die. Now the reason why you would die is you would literally suffocate by putting the arms out extended and having your body uh, then being hung at that level, what would happen is, is your diaphragm would be unable to move the lungs up and down to allow you to breathe. And so that is how our Jesus died. But why did he have to die? If we understand what the cross is, why did he have to do it? Well, there are four things that I want to look at this morning. The first thing that we see is Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross because his death, write this down, his death had been determined from eternity past in accordance with the infinite wisdom of God. That's a mouthful. 
That is a lot of theology in one sentence. His death had been determined from eternity past in accordance with the infinite wisdom of God. Let me put that into layman's terms. Quite simply, Jesus Christ died on the cross because that's how God the Father wanted it. That was God's plan. That was what He wanted to see come to fruition. Now remember, and if you're still in the book of Acts, just quite quickly, this is what it says in verse 23. Peter says, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. That's an important statement there, Peter. Jesus was handed over to you by God? He had a plan? He had a purpose? There are two truths that we must understand when we look at Acts 2.23. The first one is, is that the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus was not ultimately the result of a sinister plot by man. Understand this. If you were to look at the, um, the last uh, week of Jesus, let's say they had, if you will, that this was, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, how we do things. At the end of the weekend, of course, on Mondays, everybody talks about the events that have transpired of the week before. One of my favorite radio programs uh, is a radio program on WBBM where they go back and they talk about the week's activities. And there's commentary on what has transpired and what it will mean for the next week. And that's kind of what we can do with Jesus. Because as we look at the week of Jesus, we say, wow, Two things must have happened. Number one, uh, Jesus made an incredible blunder. Jesus was doing a lot of ministry outside of Jerusalem where the chief priest and, and the Pharisees uh, probably didn't have as big of a hold. And yet Jesus on Palm Sunday comes and makes an entry into Jerusalem. Now you need to understand Jerusalem was the enemy's uh, camp. Jerusalem was the religious center of uh, the, Juda, uh, the Jewish faith. And Jesus was viewed as a traitor. Jesus was viewed as a heretic, as a blasphemer before God. Now, if you knew that there were people that wanted to kill you, then you would enter, even if you were to enter into Jerusalem, the last thing you would do is make sure you have a parade the day you walk into Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus has happened. Jesus allows this great big parade, Palm Sunday, glory to God in the highest, Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Blessed is he <coughs> who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus has this big parade, <coughs> excuse me, this big parade going on. And what happens? It infuriates his enemies. Now we could say all of that happening was a blunder by Jesus. Or what we could say from a human standpoint is it wasn't a blunder by Jesus, but it was a perfect plan by evil men. The Pharisees got it right. After a lot of planning, they say, all right, Jesus is coming back into town. We'll let him get into town, start feeling comfortable in his surroundings. And then what we'll do is we got to get an inside man. Well, who do we find on the inside? Well, Judas, man, he, he never seemed to really connect with Jesus. And, 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 you know, he always loved money. So maybe we'll get him involved in money. This is my translation and speculation. This isn't written in Scripture. But we'll, we'll see if he, he'll do it. Let's go find out if, he, if he'll do him. 
And he does. And that's good. We got inside man. Now we need to get the Romans on board. And the Romans say, okay, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Well, what we'll do is we'll try him in our court first and then we'll hand him over and, and Pilate will go for it and, and Herod will go for it and, and we'll make it happen. And if you look at the, if you will, the sports center uh, episode of the Passion Week, you sit there and see all of the highlights of this plan. It worked just right. The problem is, is that this wasn't done because of a great sinister plot. Rather, it was a fulfillment. Write this down. Rather, it was a fulfillment of the sovereign plan of God. This isn't a plan that's gone just great by the enemies of God. But it was the plan of God. It was his plan, and God was using these men in, in a way to see his plan come to fruition. There are three things I want to view very quickly. Write these in your outline. The first thing we need to understand when we talk about in Acts 2.23, the foreknowledge and set purpose of God, is that first of all, it was the plan of God. Simply put, God planned it long before it happened. Now I want to give you a quick theology lesson. There is a study of theology called lapsarianism. Now, that's a big word, lapsarianism. How many have heard of the word lapsarianism? I didn't think too many would have, all right? It just shows you that uh, hooked on theology worked for me, okay? <laughs> lapsarianism is a, is a pretty neat uh, theological study. And the question of lapsarianism is, when did God plan to do certain things? When did God in eternity pl past uh, plan to create human beings? When did God in his eternal plan uh, make the decision that he would send Jesus to die on the cross? Now, of course, just like in almost every theological uh, issue, there are going to be sides. And there are three sides to lapsarianism. Supralapsarianism, infralapsarianism, and sublapsarianism. Now, I'm not going to get into those. You can study them on your own. That's what the internet's for and that's what your Sunday afternoons are for. To study the things that you don't know when Tim talks about them. But the issue isn't whether you're sub, supra, supra or uh, infra. The question is, or the issue at hand is that God, before the foundations of the world, made a decision, decreed that Jesus Christ the second person of the Trinity would come to earth and die on the cross. They're all in agreement. Now this is important because what you don't want to think happened, you know, one of my favorite uh, TV shows is the show 24, okay? I love 24 because Jack Bauer is, is just like this superhero without an imagination. You know, I don't get into superheroes because I don't have enough of imagination for all the crazy things that they do. But Jack Bauer is about as big as you can get as a superhero without having any superhuman powers. And the thing I love about it is in any situation, he has got <clears throat> an action point. The terrorists have taken over all of America. And just like MacGyver a generation ago, with just a little putty and a pocket knife, he will re get the people back and everybody will live happily ever after. That is not God, my friends. God didn't sit there and say, oh boy, things are getting tough down there. Oh boy, Adam and Eve sinned. What are we going to do about that? Wait, wait a minute. We need to respond. No. 
Everything that God had in regards to redemption was planned in eternity past. It was a plan of God. I like what uh, the book of Galatians says about the birth of Jesus Christ. That at the right time, the idea there is that the hour, the sand in the hourglass comes to completion of falling from one side to the other. When the time had fully come, Jesus was sent, born of a woman, born under the law. Everything that Jesus did was according to an eternal timetable. This wasn't something that was put together by the plot of man, but it was a plan of God. Secondly, God didn't just plan it. He permitted it. This means that the Trinity allowed the circumstances to fall into place. What it means is, is that Christ, when Christ left heaven to come to earth, when Jesus took on flesh, the Trinity permitted the Son of God, the second person of Trinity, to experience all the pains, all the struggles, all the issues, even the cross and even death itself. Why? Because it was a part of His plan. In fact, at one point in His humanity, Jesus cries out and asks for the cup of the crucifixion to be taken away from Him saying, Lord, if there's any other way that you can redeem a people unto yourself, if there's any other way, humanly speaking, God, let it not be the cross. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus recognized it and understood it. But I love because the perfection of Christ bubbled up from within him and said, but not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Why would we get into a, uh, that kind of uh, bird's eye view into Christ's life? Because Jesus Christ is our great high priest, one we are to follow. And I love that Jesus allows us to see the humanity of him bubbling up to say, Lord, there's pain coming. There's suffering coming. There's a breaking of fellowship between you and me coming. And yet I will do what your will is. God permitted it. Finally, God purposed it. It happened just like clockwork. It didn't skip any of the details. It didn't miss any of the characters. It was done according to his plan. But understand this as well. It accomplished everything that God wanted it to. You know, we get into projects and we get into goal setting and we hope that if we set these goals and do these projects that in the end we will then be able uh, to say it accomplished all of it but usually because we're human we'll say even if it accomplishes 75 percent it's still a good thing there is nothing that god purposed in eternity past that was not done and fulfilled and accomplished during the time on the cross I wonder, and this is just me speaking, I wonder after the ascension, if the Trinity up in heaven had a time just to take glory in the victory, the excitement of all that had taken place, they had redeemed men back to themselves. I remember watching uh, the A-team back when I was a child, and I'll never forget that the closing phrase of the A-team was by the leader of the A-team, Hannibal, and he'd be smoking a cigar that was his signature thing. And if you remember right, after the victory had been won, the bad guys had been uh, taken care of, Hannibal would take that big cigar out of his mouth and say, I love it when a plan comes together. I wonder if that is what the Trinity was saying. Isn't it awesome? 
Look at it all, it all works out. I'm going to get in some trouble. People are going to say you're a blasphemer. Okay? It's an illustration. It's supposed to take a human element to a spiritual level, okay? That's what it's there for. I got permission, okay? I wonder if the Trinity sat back and gloried in the plan and the purposes that were accomplished. Wow! Judas thinking he could betray Jesus and God uses him to bring forth his plan. The evil men that were given charge to destroy Jesus and they are working in the life of God's purposes so that God will see glory, honor, and praise. Second thing this morning is that his death, Christ died on the cross because his death had been declared in advance through the word of God. It had been declared in advance. The second reason when Jesus Christ had to die is because God said it was going to happen. And when God says something is going to happen, the scripture says that God cannot lie and in him is truth. That everything we know about God, everything that he utters to us about who he is and his plans will come to fruition. And Jesus recognized that. Jesus understood that. Throughout the Old Testament, we know that there are scriptures, dozens of scriptures that point to Jesus dying on the cross. The book of Isaiah is full of them, foreshadowing and telling Jesus is coming and this Savior will be a suffering Savior. He will be beaten. He'll be abused. He'll be hung between uh, two thieves. He will be placed in a rich man's grave. On and on they go. It was declared. Prophecy after prophecy with amazing clarity. These aren't these prophecies that we hear about on the History Channel with Nostradamus. These are prophecies that did come to fulfillment. When was the last time you did a study of the prophecies that have taken place, that have been fulfilled? They'll remind you that if those were right then the ones that have yet to be fulfilled will come as well. You see, you need to understand, God didn't look back as a Monday morning quarterback and put everything together after it was done. Say, no, I'll do this because I already know the outcome of the game. But long before it, he started to share the story, even in the book of Genesis. Genesis 3.15, after the fall, God is handing out the punishments. And he says to the devil, that the offspring of the woman, speaking of Jesus, will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent would strike his heel. In Genesis, my friends, God was declaring that Jesus was going to come and he was going to die. Third thing this morning, Jesus died on the cross because he was dedicated to fulfilling the work of God. When we view the life of Jesus, it seems that, as I said, he lived according to a divine calendar. I wrote on this uh, in one of my papers at Moody Bible Institute in the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John speaks so many times as if God had it all planned, like it was a celestial chess match between man or between God and, and the devil. That God was going to move Jesus in these ways and, and lead and, and have him in certain places at certain times. That everything would come to fulfillment. And that's what Jesus did. But it isn't that he just did things at the right time, but he did them with the right spirit. Jesus did what God called him to. 
Whether it was during times when he was exalted, whether it was times when people wanted to make him king, he did the will of God. When it was times even when he knew that trouble and tribulation was coming, Jesus did the will of the Father. As I've already cited, Luke twenty-two forty-two: not my will, Lord, but your will be done. I like what John four thirty-four says, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus said, Lord, whatever you've got planned, Father, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Turn in your Bibles for a moment from the book of Acts, if that's where you're at, to the book of Philippians. You go to your right and go through books like uh, Romans and First and Second Corinthians. You're going to find uh, a couple books later, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Well, what was his attitude, Paul? Who being in the very nature God, he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. What it's saying is, is God became man. That's the humiliation of God by becoming man. Listen to what it says. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He obeyed the work of the Father. He did it because he humbled himself and followed the plan and purposes of God the Father. Finally, the reason why Jesus died was because we disobeyed the will of God. We disobeyed the will of God. The final reason Christ went to the cross is because we needed him to. There's nothing in this world that could save us from our sins. Well, what is sin? There are two things that sin involves. Number one, it involves doing what God forbids. God says, don't do this. Don't commit adultery. Don't, don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't put other gods before you. Um, don't uh, speak falsely about your neighbor. He says, don't do those things. That's one aspect of sin. But the book of James says that when we know what is right and do not do it, a man sins. And that is not only what God forbids, but we fail to do what God requires. So sin is not doing what God, doing the things that God forbids and not doing what God requires. We fail at both of them. Because of that, we as a human race are condemned. We are condemned and we are on our way to hell because of our guilt. Why? Because God is a just God. God said, all right, the soul that sins is the soul that dies, the Old Testament says. You sin, you will die. The wage of sin is death. That's God's judge, justice. But there's also God's love. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, <clears throat> but have everlasting life. Again, Emil Bruner, I don't quote him very often. I quote him twice in one sermon. Emil Bruner rightly said that the cross of Christ is where God displays to the world His holy justice and His divine love simultaneously in one event with absolute clarity. Think about it this way. God's justice and judgment and God's love is intersected at the cross of Calvary. What can take away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Where did that happen? On the cross of Calvary. 
You want God to uh, forgive you of your sins, you need the cross. No amount of good works, righteous things that we could have done. We talked about this last week. There's nothing, no amount of religion can save you but the cross alone because we have turned and rejected the truth of Almighty God. Well, what do we do with it? What do we do with this? My question for you this morning is, it was necessary for Christ to die. I've explained a biblical reason why Christ needed to die. The question is, do you believe it with your heart that it was necessary for Christ to die? Especially when it comes to that last point. That as I disobeyed the will of God, that Christ needed to die for me. There are three applications I want us to pull from this quite quickly. Number one, when all is chaotic. Whenever all is chaotic, remember God is in control. If you look at the life of the time of Jesus at the cross, you would say, boy, it was a time where God was completely out of control. And yet at that moment, God was more in control than we would have ever imagined. Now, what does that mean for us today? We live in a time where it seems everything is chaotic, where the world seems to be coming apart at the seams. And we need to understand, just as we did on that day in Jerusalem, God is in control. Did God uh, all of a sudden uh, get surprised when he turned on CNBC and saw that the stock market was crashing and say, oh boy, we got a problem. There's an issue. No, he knew about it. And he's using it to be a part of his plan and his purposes. Remember, God is in control. Number two, when everyone seems to have the right answer, commit yourself to do whatever the Lord commands. When we look at the cross, we see obedience. Now, I am sure, as we know, that Jesus talks about having to go to the cross, having to die, Peter sticks his foot in his mouth and he says, you don't have to do that, Jesus. You, you don't have to go to the cross. Come on. We got, there's got to be another way. And Thomas is pulling out swords at another time and saying, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him, but we're going down fighting. Then we know in the garden, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of a servant uh, who's come to arrest Jesus. These guys thought, hey, We've got the right answer. We can figure it out. And at one point, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He says to Peter, why? Because Jesus said, don't keep me from obeying my father. Don't keep me from obeying the will of God in heaven. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of people in this world that say, you know what? You don't have to do what God's called you to. You don't have to follow his words and follow his decrees. You know, it's easier. You know what? Hey, if you do this, you can keep your job. And I know that it goes against your religion. I know that it goes against your Jesus. But, but if you just do this, then all will be well. Don't do what other people say. Do what the Lord commands. Because remember, everything when it's chaotic, God is in control. Jesus obeyed, and so should we. Finally, when we look to the cross, recognize that you are the cause for Christ's suffering. Understand when you look at the cross that you recognize you are the cause of Christ's suffering. Not just you, but me as well. But it needs to be personal. Remember the story of Mel Gibson when he was uh, doing the filming? Word got out that the hands that were held the hammer and the nails pounding into uh, Jesus' hands were his. I don't know where Mel Gibson's at spiritually, but at least he's got an understanding of the personal responsibility that he has to the cross of Calvary. 
I'll give him that. I don't know if he's got it all put together in regards to the gospel, but I will give him that he has a proper understanding that it is his sin that put Jesus on the cross, just as it was my sin. We have fought wars over who put Jesus on the cross. Let me tell you something. The answer is, it is because of our sin. And we need to recognize that, especially as we come to a table like the Lord's Supper as we recognize that it was our sin that put him there. 